Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Chris Bingham, and I'm one of the elders here at, at Sunbury City Church, and I am uh, delighted that you've chosen to join us this morning, the first day of spring. Uh, quite a difference walking in the parking lot this Sunday compared to what it was last Sunday, uh, treachering away through ice and snow. But, uh, you know, when we think of spring, we obviously... Uh, turn our thoughts as far as a church towards Easter. And, uh, and so, as you know, we've been going through a series on Romans, and we're going to take a break from that for really for the next four weeks and do what is called the Road to Passion Week, which is really just preparing our hearts, getting ready to celebrate Easter. And so this morning is going to be a first in a series of, of messages we're going to be doing to do that. And, uh, and so before we do that, if you would, let's just take a moment and pray. And I want to remind us again that, that actually uh, Derek and Chapin uh, are both at a conference in Washington, D.C. And I uh, just want to pray for them and, and even pray for Derek and Alicia in their upcoming time away. So join me in prayer, would you? Father, we pause before you this morning to thank you for this privilege to gather, the freedom to gather. We know there are many parts around the world that do not have this privilege. And I think about our dear brothers and sisters who in the country of Ukraine, and uh, have, have lost their homes, have lost their places of worship. Oh, Father, we, you know, we pray that you would be with them. Oh, that you might intervene there, Lord, that you would bring good from the evil we see coming from this war. But yet we're reminded, Father, of, of how our dependency is upon you, and what we look for in the Easter story, the hope that it provides. And I pray that you encourage us with that this morning. And Lord, I pray that you will just speak through me. You know, I'm a sinful man, a broken vessel. And yet I pray that you would speak your word through me to bring a message of living water, a message of hope. And this morning we pray for our dear brothers, Chapin and and Derek is there in Washington, D.C. at this conference. Lord, may it be a time that would bless them, a time that you would speak through them, refresh them in your word, and just continue to energize them around the message and the role they play as being ministers of the gospel. That's our prayer this morning. We pray you'll hear our prayer. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Part of building up to Easter is kind of what the, the, the Easter message is obviously a culmination of a lot of things that went before the Easter story. And so much of what you're going to hear the next four weeks uh, culminating on Easter is going to be how the scriptures build up to Christ's arrival, his course, his, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, you know, we, what we call the gospel. And uh, we're going to start this morning in looking at Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 28. So if you, we can start turning there now. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black Bible in a pew in front of you, and uh, you can feel free to, if you don't have a Bible, to take that as our gift to you. We, uh, we, we just value God's Word as the way that God has spoken to man. And I can tell you that uh, over the last few years, I've come to a new appreciation at the totality of the Bible, the Scriptures, what it brings, and how it helps us, guides us. If you think about it, it tells us in Genesis where we came from. It tells us then how that God's people were created under the nation of Israel, which we're going to be looking at this morning. And then how God worked through his people, despite the ups and downs they went through. He stayed with his people. 
And how we went through prophets and kings who tried to prophesy and say what God was going to do. And then we find the culmination of that in in the New Testament, which we celebrate on Easter, where Christ came. God himself descended, came to earth, lived a sinless life, and committed a sacrifice, and arose from the dead that gives us, it tells us in Revelation, the hope of eternal life. From beginning to end. There's a little book we have here called The True Story of the Whole World. It puts all that together as far as with the Bible. And if you haven't read it, I encourage you to do it because as much as you can be a student of the Bible, that book helps you understand the totality of the message and how it all fits together. And so that's a little bit what we are going to be looking at this morning. We're going back to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, reading verses 1 through 28. And it's a story of the Passover. If you know anything at all about the Bible, you know about the Passover. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you would, to, to turn your Bibles there and if you, uh, to stand at the, uh, to recognize the reading of God's Word as we read through verses 1 through 28 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. To all the congregation of Israel, that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he, shall, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. And you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the window of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Verse 10, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat, and with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel." On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread from the very day I brought you out of the host of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever." In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, 
that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing, leaven, in all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel of the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you, for your sons forever. And when you come to the land, the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, you may be seated. I think it's important uh, just to provide a little background, a little history to what uh, what happened with the Passover. So first off, let's start off with the book of Genesis and understanding that that the nation of Israel was really created through Abraham. Abraham was told in Genesis 15 that, that God, or God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And that was a surprise to Abraham because at that point he didn't have any children. And then we know later on in, in Genesis 18, he says, and through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And being on this side of that covenant with Abraham, we understand that better. But then became the birth of Isaac. Uh, God blessed him with a son, Isaac, and through Isaac, he was a father of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, which began the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of his favorites, his favorite son, was the 11th son, Joseph. And you may even know the story of Joseph, a coat of many colors. Uh, Jacob loved Joseph so much that he made a coat of many colors for, for Joseph. And this irritated his brothers. They were upset that he was a favorite son. And so Joseph was sent by his father to go check on his brothers who were in a far land, shepherding sheep. And when they saw Joseph coming, they plotted to kill him. And one of the brothers spoke up and goes, no, we better not kill him, but let's dig a pit and throw him in the pit. And when they did, as they had him in the pit, a group, a caravan of Ishmaelites heading on their way to Egypt came by and they said, hey, let's sell Joseph to them. We get some money out of this. So they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites who carried him to Egypt. And then what they did, they took Joseph's coat, killed a lamb, dipped some blood on it, took it back to the father and said, oh, we're sorry, it looks, we found this coat, it looks like Joseph was killed by a wild animal. Well, you can imagine Jacob's distress. Here it was, his son, his favorite son, was dead. But little did he know, Joseph was on a caravan to Egypt. And during that, when he got to Egypt, he was sold to Potiphar, and Potiphar was a high, up, high up in the, in the Egyptian rank. And you would think, as far as it said, that God was with Joseph. And you would think Joseph's pathway would be easy. But if you know the story of Joseph at all, he, he had a conflict after conflict. It seemed like God had left him. But Joseph remained faithful. 
And Joseph was thrown in prison and interpreted a dream for someone. And that person got out and got next to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh's dream saw seven cows that were, that were, were, were heavy and seven that were thin. And he wanted someone to interpret that dream. And there was a man, the man who Joseph interpreted a dream for him said, Oh, I know a guy, uh, I think his name is Joseph, he's in prison. He interprets dreams. So they brought him before Pharaoh. He interpreted a dream to Pharaoh. They say seven years, or seven, seven fat cows, or seven years are going to be plenty. And it was going to be followed by seven years of famine. And the Bible says, Pharaoh believed Joseph because he was a man of God. And so Joseph became second in command. Pharaoh said, you build the storehouses, you build, you get everything ready for the seven years of famine, which Joseph did. When the famine hit, all around, all the, all the, the area around <clears throat> Egypt was in need of grain. And so Jacob, Joseph's father, sent his sons to go and, and to, to Egypt to buy grain. And little did his brothers know, there he goes and stands before their own brother to buy grain, who was in control of the storehouses. If you're knowing about that story at all, it's a powerful story of forgiveness. But I share it with you this morning because I think it helps set the scene of how the Israelites got to Egypt. Because what followed is Joseph's brothers came and finally revealed himself to them. He sent for his father, Jacob. Jacob came down and all of Jacob, his brothers, settled in Egypt. Well, now we pick up the story 400 years later. And Joseph is long gone. The story of, the, the story of how Joseph helped and how the, Israel, the Israelites had helped uh, was, was, was well forgotten. And they became enslaved to Egypt. And yet because they were God's people, because God told Abraham, I would make you great, they multiplied greatly. And they were, a, they were a large group of people that were now in the land, really basically, in, in the land of Egypt. And so then we kind of pick up this story, and if you, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, here's what it says. You can, you, verse 23 and 24, it says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, remembered here is not that God forgot. In fact, many times, if you follow through with Scripture, God says he's going to do something, makes a covenant, and then it goes a period of time, you think, has God forgotten? What remembered here meant is God was ready to move, act on what his promise was. And so, as you know, I think if you study the Bible at all, that that began the plagues, the, the, the plagues of Egypt. There was ten plagues. And so that's what we read about this morning. And so as we read that and we understand the plague and what you read about with the doorposts, the main point, the main point of our message this morning is that true freedom comes only through faith in the blood of Christ. They were enslaved. And that freedom... That freedom that they sought was about to happen through the blood of Christ. And after 400 years of, of setting the stage, God is ready to make his power and his presence known. And prior to the plagues, listen to what God says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. He says, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. 
from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Great acts of judgment. That was the Lord speaking and preparing the people to let them know. And so that statement in chapter 6 began a big showdown. That's the first thing we're going to look at. The showdown, God versus Pharaoh. God versus Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh and present God's request. His request was, I want you to let my people go to sacrifice to me. That's what Moses, Moses, that's what Moses and Aaron requested. And Pharaoh responds, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And the plagues begin. Water to blood, infestation of frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Nine different things occurred, and each time Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let those people go to do that. And what we read this morning is the tenth and final plague, the blood, door, the blood on the doorpost. Now, you might ask yourself, why ten plagues? Why would you have to go through all that? Why not just put the door on the doorpost and get the people free? I want you to, I think it's going to be on the screen here. Look at what it says in Exodus 9, 16. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. My name may be proclaimed in all the earth. As you read through the Old Testament, you begin to realize, particularly what he says to Abraham in the Genesis and what he says here to Pharaoh, God cares about his name. And the plagues demonstrated God's power over his own creation. He turned water into blood. Creatures, frogs, gnats, flies, locusts, creatures that he created, God controlled. Weather, hail, and then ultimately, the very sky itself, darkness. Pharaoh had his own gods, Egyptian gods. And if you look at verse number 12, we read this morning, look at verse 12 at the end, it says, and I will bring on all of God's, on all of God, uh, on all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. You see, Pharaoh wasn't without his own gods. And honestly, if you think about it, most of people we're around have their own gods. What offended Pharaoh was not the fact that Israel had their own god. What offended Pharaoh was the fact that their god would have some claim on his life. What does he have to do with me? That sound familiar? We live in a time, especially right now, where people build, create their own God. And that's very dangerous because we can't create God. God is who he is. I am who I am. And so the first step to becoming a believer is to acknowledge that God is who he is and to repent from anything that we might think who God is. We have many people that claim they have a truth, a truth claim. But we have to hold that up against the truth claims of the scriptures. What we read and what God has presented is who he is and what he has done. 
God will not share his glory. God will not share his name. In fact, later on in Exodus, we know that's where the Ten Commandments came. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We serve a jealous God. And so often we seem to wash that down. And remember, you know, we many times as far as Christianity is considered very narrow. What do you mean there's only one way to come to Christ? But we didn't say that. That's what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14. He said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes. There's many gods, but God cares about his name. And from that, he declares it. And our second thing I want to look at this morning, that freedom, freedom comes through the blood. Freedom comes through the blood. We come to the final plague between God and Pharaoh, the Passover. A deadly conclusion for Egypt. And God provides very specific instructions to Moses and Aaron on how each household be spared from God's wrath. Look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male, a year old. Verse 7. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The reason, of course, that we're looking at this passage this morning as we think about Easter is because the shedding of blood was used here. For God to pass over and spare them from judgment. What a wonderful picture of what we're going to celebrate in Easter. But did you ever wonder why the shedding of blood is so important? What's, you know, we know we, we, we talk about Christ shedding of blood and we sing about it. But did you ever understand the history of shedding blood? Why it's important to the Christian? Why it's important to God? I want to help understand, I hope you understand this morning, because in Genesis chapter 3 is really the first time that we know there's shedding of blood to cover sin. And that happened after Adam and Eve had sinned. In Genesis chapter 3 it tells us, and God made for Adam and for his wife garments and skins and clothed them. God's provision to cover their shame involved the killing of animals, the shedding of blood. And there began a little bit of history of sacrifice. We know that Cain and Abel. Cain came with a, with a sacrifice to God. It was from the, the fruits of the land. But Abel's was from an animal. And it said God accepted Abel's sacrifice, not Cain's. And then later on we know in Genesis the story of Abraham, the receptor of God's covenant, where he, God told him to go and sacrifice his son, his son Isaac. Can you imagine that? But, but, but it says that Abraham was faithful and took Isaac and went up on a mountain and put Isaac on the altar and took his hand was ready to sacrifice his own son. And God called out and said, Isaac, do not lay a hand on the boy. I have provided a lamb. And off in the distance, Abraham saw there was a ram stuck some brush. He wanted to use a sacrifice. And you know, by the way, that was up on a mountain, 
And many biblical archaeologists think that's the mountain, the same mountain in which Jerusalem is built and which Jesus was crucified. Look again at the instructions. Verse 5, lamb without blemish. Verse 12, I will strike the firstborn and execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you. The Passover, what we looked at this morning, really began to set a system of sacrifice for sin. And we know later on it was even set further in the Old Testament, or in Exodus, the book of Exodus, as the nation of Israel exited and now became their own nation, separated. God instructed them exactly what they should do to sacrifice for sin. Redemption. Propitiation, forgiveness, reconciliation are all represented in the Old Testament history of sacrifice. And the Passover provides a clear picture of the perfect sacrifice that was offered. We'll celebrate in a few weeks God's Son. Remember John's word. John the Baptist, as he saw Jesus approaching, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but know you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot. Easter provides us to find a look back on the history of sacrifice, and that's what we are really doing this morning that we can have a greater appreciation for what led up to Christ's death and his resurrection. The third thing we see in this passage is never forget to remember memorials. Never forget to remember. You know, we look at this passage because we are remembering it because it was a high mark in Jewish history. High mark in the history of even God's people in the church. God wants his people to remember how he freed them from bondage. And if you look at verse 14, if you look at the whole aspect of so much in this passage was given about how they were to celebrate what God was about to do. Verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. Verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Verse 26, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say to them, it's a sacrifice to the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. And if you know anything about biblical history, you know that that Passover observance was very important to Israel, and in, very, in fact, it was the observance that Christ was celebrating with the disciples on that fateful night before his death. And that, during that sacrifice, that's when he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And so, really, believers today, when they celebrate the Passover now, are celebrating Christ's death 
and his resurrection through, the, through, the, through communion. It's to be done with like-minded individuals. It's to be done in community with people that are believers. And that's why, as a church, we do it in membership meetings. Because it's done, done corporately and communally with those that are in a covenant together, a covenant of faith. And if, if you look in verse 19, he's very specific. He said, they provide by very few instructions where he said, the pastor was remembered for God's people and those who worship their God, also for the sojourner. And the sojourners, those were outside of the, the, land, the, the, the uh, nation of Israel who had saw that there was, God was a true God and joined them. And if you look a little further on in verse 48, if you have your Bible open, 48, it's not, a, it's not one we covered today, but it says in the same chapter, he goes on to elaborate more about how it was to be celebrated, which is very critical. It says, if a stranger sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord and all his males be circumcised, then he become near and keep it, he shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Now, the reason I bring this up is because circumcision in the New Testament, we believe, is baptism. And if you don't think God cares about the way rituals are carried out, you can see how important it is right here. It's important that we do, when we do corporate, when we do corporate memorials, that we do it the way God instructed us to do it. And that's why we believe as a church that communion is really for the covenant of, of believers who are baptized and covenanted together in a covenant relationship. And while communion is a corporate memorial, we also have other corporate memorials. That's why we, every Sunday we get together. It's a time to remember what God has done. And while the instruction there is not as specific as it was about communion or about the Passover celebration, it is specific in the aspect that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We're called to come here to remember, to recall what Christ has done. But the other thing I want to challenge you or let you think about this morning is your own personal memorials. If you're a believer, the day that God touched your life, there's times in my life, not only with it, where I very specifically heard from God. You know, when my days when I'm kind of cold or not feeling warm spiritually, we're called to remember that. I go back there. There might be scriptures that you have read that blessed you, that spoke to you. On those days where you're cold, go back to them. There might be a song that brings you to praise and worship and just appreciation for what God has done. Those are memorials. Those are your personal memorials. And I want to encourage you not to forget, never forget to remember. Don't ever forget to what God has done in your life. And a lot of those can be personal as well. The final thing we look at this morning is we're free to serve. Sounds like a oxymoron, doesn't it? Free to serve. And freedom from slavery is really the Israel story of the exodus from Egypt. It's really a story that has inspired many emancipation movements. How God freed them from the burden of slavery. But you think about it, in terms of God's eyes, Israel was not sinless. They deserved judgment too. Same judgment that brought death to Egypt. Also, 
Israel deserved. God's people were spared for one reason and one reason only. Because the sacrificial blood of a lamb on the doorpost. Think, think about those individuals behind the doorpost. It really didn't matter what they did a year ago. It didn't matter what they did a week ago. It didn't matter what they did the night before. They were, because of that blood, they were spared from judgment. Freedom. What comes to mind when you think of freedom? For the Christian, for the believer, we look at freedom as being free from the bondage, the trappings of sin. One of my favorite verses, and Derek spoke on it a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 6, verse 18. Here's what it says. It says, having been set free, having been set free from sin, we become the slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. It's not bondage that we try to follow a set of rules. No, it's through a love relationship of what we see God has done for us. We love righteousness. And that's why so many New Testament writers refer to themselves as servants or bond servants. They were indebted to God because of what he had done for them. This morning, this morning I want to ask you, who are you serving? That's a question really for the believer, if you're a Christian or a non-believer. Because the one reason we come here as believers is to remind ourselves that we don't serve the world. We're not serving others. We come to clear our minds remember that we're servants of God. Look back and remember that the one who knew no sin took our sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. You know, I'm going to and just conclude this morning with a personal story, a personal example. And uh, it happened to me 29 years ago. Actually, this past Wednesday, it was 29 years the anniversary of my wife's birthday. Uh, I re- was a recipient of a bone marrow transplant. I was uh, 34 years old, and many of you might know, but I was diagnosed with a terminal cancer called multiple myeloma. And the doctors had given me about a year and a half to live, but they said we could try some experimental treatment. And I decided I would go for it. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the things that, that happened out of that was that I was to receive a transplant from my sister. And if you don't think about multiple myeloma, it's a cancer of the bone marrow. If you think about the bone marrow, you know that it's the very core of your being. Cancer had been infected the very core of who I am it's physically. And on March 16, 1993, I laid on a f- hospital floor. They had given me enough chemotherapy that it was literally dying inside. Killing my body and we're going to plan to bring me back to life. And that afternoon, my sister was seven fours below, went through surgery to get bone marrow from her. And that afternoon, they brought it up and they gave that bone marrow. There it was. The nurses brought it in and said, here's your bone marrow. Now, you know, as much as I needed it, and as free and willing my sister was to give it, that bone marrow could not do be any good to cleanse me from my cancer until I received it. 
That's a great picture of what it is with Christ. You know, the very fact that God has given that sacrifice, we're going to celebrate an Easter, and he rose from the dead, he victory over death. But it takes an act of faith. Not only on your part to accept it, but an act of faith to maintain and continue to serve our God. For serious. The very God who created you, died for you, and prepared a place for you is yours through faith. Remember? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's What's hot, what's, what are you in bondage to today? Lift your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I want to end with the main point. True freedom. True freedom. Comes only through faith in the blood of Christ. Join me in prayer. Father, as I stand here today before you, even as we study this whole thing of the past, I'm in awe of the fact that you would love us, love Chris Bingman, enough that you would give yourself for me. And yet I trust your word and by faith I accept that I am accepted because I'm accepted by you. Not what I do, but what you did for me on the cross. And I pray that as we get prepared for that, celebrate Easter in four weeks, that, Lord, that you will use this time as a church, that we will look at your word, think seriously about how you have operated through all of history and the culmination of what your life, your death, and your resurrection, what was prophesied when it actually happened and now how it affects the way we live, what we do. Oh, Father, that it might free us. The truth of your word, your gift to us, would free us from the bondage of sin and the freedom that comes through knowing you. I thank you for this, your word, for what you've done for us, and I pray it again today. And what we do is we worship here as we follow, that your spirit will be with us. We thank you again for the, the truth that we have in your word. In Christ's name, amen.